0: So Austin, when a problem comes along, what do you do? Uh put on some skates? Nah man, you gotta whip it. <laughs> That's right. This week me and Austin are getting in touch with our inner 17-year-old girls as we watch a film about friendship, motherhood, and ladies in fishnets smashing into each other on roller skates. We're watching Whip It. 10, 9, 8, 7,
1: 6, 5.
0: Hey, welcome to I Dig This Movie. I'm Kier Seward, an independent filmmaker and photographer, as well as a guy who has the perfect birthday set up for Friday. It's gonna be Ribs, Mini Golf, and Paddington 2.
1: <laughs> you loved Paddington 1. I'm th-
0: Oh my god, I love Paddington so and much. And then
1: and then didn't you like move to Paddington like right after that?
0: Um, yeah, actually weirdly, yeah, we did. I I was <laughs> like I was in Paddington like <laughs> kinda after that movie came out for like three months. Um, well, I hope I, I say twice. I want to see it twice. I, I went with Alex and I also went with my mom.
1: Oh, look at you! Well, I'm Austin Hayden Smith. I haven't even seen the original Paddington, so apparently, Oh, you. <laughs> apparently, I have no. Self. Okay,
0: like, okay, we're stopping the podcast. We're gonna watch Paddington. Uh, <laughs> episode's been changed. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> This week, there is no trending topic as Austin and I have to catch up on all the reviews that we have not done over the past three or four weeks, i.e. I have to do all the reviews. So we will have (laughs) reviews for The Mayawid Stories, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Brawl in Block 99, Thor Ragnarok, Call Me By Your Name, Death of Stalin, Happy Death Day, The Babysitter, and Wheelman. Then in our main segment, we'll be talking Drew Barrymore's directorial debut from 2009, Whip It. So, Austin, as I mentioned earlier, Friday's my birthday. So, we haven't done a review section for a while, so it's been a while since I needed to come up with a, with a, with a review system. So, mm-hmm. this week, it's going to be how big a slice of birthday cake would this film get?
1: Ooh, I like it. okay, yeah, okay. so so
0: um we're gonna kick it off with the Myowitz stories, which is a film that I watched like four weeks ago, so it's not necessarily totally fresh in my mind. Did you watch this one? I did. Oh, wow. There we go. You, you get to say something. Yep. Uh, Rather so, than just ask
1: uh, pointed questions. <laughs> exactly.
0: So this is the new film from Noah Baumbach. It revolves around three siblings, played by Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, and Elizabeth Marvel, and their strained relationship with their difficult and bitter father, played by Dustin Hoffman. Adam Sandler's character feels resentful because he felt he was ignored and his father doesn't respect him. Ben Stiller's character rebelled against his artistic, traditional father and feels his it feels he resents him because he makes more money because he's like an accountant or something. I forget. It was four weeks ago. <laughs> um, and, uh, inevitably they're all brought together by some extreme circumstances that forces them to deal with their shit and various resentments. And it's all very New York, very Jewish, yep. very Noah Bomback. Yep. So Austin, uh, what'd you make of it?
1: So I like Noah Bomback and i went in with relatively high expectations because of the hubbub surrounding this film out of the festival circuit and so yeah, was from, from i King. was really looking forward to seeing this film i like the cast i like ben stiller as a serious actor i mean this is a dramedy yeah, i mean me it's more it's more yeah. drama than comedy but it's 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 funny in its idiosyncrasies, and its Jewish eccentricities. That's that's why it's funny. If you uh, are familiar with New York, if you're familiar with Jewish culture, American Jewish culture, East Coast American Jewish culture, then you will enjoy a lot of the sort of idiosyncrasies that Noah Baumbach explores in this film. I really wanted to like this film a lot. I even forced myself, I think, into liking it while I was watching it, and – I like certain aspects of it, but I think in hindsight, and as I have allowed it to digest a little bit, I am finding my enjoyment, I think it was like a strained enjoyment. Like, I really wanted to enjoy it because all of the component parts that I, that that, that would sort of compose a film, like an indie type of film like this, were there that would make me want to like it, but... I think ultimately, I didn't really enjoy it. I thought the tone was kind of inconsistent. um like yeah, there were some some nice heartfelt moments. I thought the acting was decent. Adam Sandler did a lovely job. his daughter his, his relationship with his daughter was really nice. They explored some interesting familial themes. But I think ultimately, I'm kind of just tired of these small, intimate portrayals of families and these small, intimate portrayals of day-to-day life. Like, I get it, and I know that the indie scene is filled with that kind of stuff, and sometimes I love it, like in the film that we're going to talk about today that we we watched is kind of one of those films. Sometimes I love it, and sometimes I'm bored of it, and for some reason, this film just missed for me. And I, f- I think in hindsight, I kind of... I'm, I, I was ultimately... And even at the end of the movie, I was kind of like... I really wanted to like it. I liked some of it. I laughed. I I got a little teary-eyed, but I think ultimately, I mean that's not saying much for me cuz I cry all the time, but I think ultimately for, really for me, it just it just misses. And and so I I don't know. Um I guess if I were going to do a birthday cake, I'd be like uh it would be like uh uh, two bites of a cake. It's,
0: it's it's watching
1: its weight. That's that's what it's doing with birthday <laughs> yeah, cake. Yeah, it's it's a low fa- it's a low fat cake. It's like if you're on the Jenny Craig diet and you got to have one of those like low fat cakes or one of those like gluten free cakes or something like that. Eh, that's what it is. It like God, it looks so good. The fantasy of is it amazing and and you eat it and you're like, man, this gluten free cake is really not bad. But really, really, it wasn't like the double fudge chocolate cake that I wanted.
0: I've come to kind of think of. Noah Baumbach's films almost like it's a really really long TV show that I'm watching and each week each new installment <laughs> is like an almost anthology episode of like nervous Jewish New York idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies and you right. know it slowly has been developing over age and so it started off with uh, you know sort of it being about younger people and now it's gotten all the way to to its its middle-aged people dealing with their in inadequacies and insecurities. And yeah, I mean, I, I I think weirdly your description of Noah bomb of this could almost describe every Noah Baumbach film that I've ever seen, which is (laughs) that I all kind of feel they're of a piece with each other. And weirdly, I would say that I've never been like the world's biggest Woody Allen fan. So I kind of see like Noah Baumbach film as the more likable version of what I find tedious often about Woody Allen's movies. Mm. Um, plus he makes less of them, which helps. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. I liked a lot of the components, but I always kind of find myself at the end going, well, that was good. I enjoyed a lot of the elements of those two hours, but I'm not really sure they ever, not really sure what it ever added up to me. Um, it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, cause I liked while you, while we're young, and I thought there were some interesting ideas and themes it was exploring, but I'm I'm at the end of it, I'm I'm kind of I'm almost alienated by how un you know how low level all of the problems are. There it's usually people kind of just dealing with kind of resentments what, with it, each
1: other. So it's so it's white people's problems. It is kind of white people's problems. Yeah. You know, you know, or or it's rich it's rich people's problems. Yeah.
0: It is, but I don't think his characters his characters aren't generally like super rich. They're middle, just it's, kind
1: of, it's upper middle class people's problems. Yeah, they're
0: upper middle class. They're like upper middle class New Yorkers and they're always New Yorkers and I think that's the thing that starts to be... Because you, you get to that point where you're like, I feel like we've told the New York stories now. New York's done. We don't need to keep talking about New York for a while. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I suppose it's got a lot of things that hamper it that make me kind of feel like I'm not really sure I needed more of this. However, I will say... I loved Adam Sandler in it. I thought it's the best thing he's done since Punch Drunk Love. Um, yeah, and you know, and it, it makes you realize you know, it, it's it's that thing where you're kind of like Adam Sandler. You have no excuse because you can do this. It's right. like you know because I had to sit through fucking the ridiculous six. And pixels <laughs> and fucking blended, where he looks half asleep through most of it. So I'm like, a- Adam Sandler, you you can try. I yeah. know
1: you can try. We have evidence of it. But what would his what was his paycheck for Meyerwitz stories versus his paychecks yeah, no, uh, for? Obviously.
0: <laughs> but you know, I'm just like, I, I'd like a little bit more of an even split. That's all I'm saying is yeah. like he can do his terrible Happy Madison Netflix movies, but can we just get a little bit more of an even split? And. I also have this thing that I I just think Noah Baumbach never knows how to end a film, and all of his films feel a bit like Lord of the Rings. They have about ten different endings, and you you keep thinking, oh wait wait oh no, there's another five minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that this you one know. it did. Yeah, it did do that. So what what kind of birthday cake would you give this, or what? Big mean, of a how big of a slice would you give yourself?
0: I mean, it. it I think I would give it like I, I I don't feel like I'd be quite as stingy as you. I think I'd give it a little bit more of a healthy slice um you know i I, you know, I i wouldn't say it's like i'm i'm not going to overindulge but it's definitely I, you know, th- again, there's just bits I like and it's, you know, he assembles a likable cast and it's a cast that you enjoy seeing doing their thing. And, you know, the weird idiosyncrasies of like even like that whole thing about how uh, Adam Sandler's daughter keeps making these student films that, <laughs> that are funny. incomprehensible and weird and always yeah. involve her being topless and having sex with people. yeah, And her like family just keeps watching and she she just shows them to her family and they keep just sort of. <laughs> Taking it completely on face value and and not
1: like. And then her aunt is in the last one, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it was like things like that that kind of really just. uh, Yeah. It made it more likable than if it had just been. I I, I don't know. I hated Frances Ha. So it's kind of like if everything, when everything feels better than Frances Ha to me generally. So that helps. That helps things a lot.
1: Okay. All right. So what's next? What's, what's the uh, next? Next time?
0: is Killing of a Sacred Deer. Okay, um, which is the new film by Yurg- Yurgos Lantimov, who I'm sure his name I have mispronounced because he's Greek. Lanthamos. Um, um, But yeah. Yeah. So it's a a strange kind of revenge thriller where Colin Farrell is a surgeon who befriends the teenage son of a patient um, who he had who died under his his care. Um, and uh, it kind of then ends up turning into this weird revenge story where there are these terrible repercussions when the teenage son decides to use this friendship to kind of exact uh, revenge on the surgeon and his family. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's a hard one to kind of really summarize and explain. Um, but it's got the very... If you've seen Dogtooth and the Lobster, you kind of have an idea... Of the kind of strange otherworldly elements of it, you know, you know, the first 30 minutes has people kind of speaking in this very, very weird monotone style of speaking where everyone speaks in these very clear affirmative statements, but sounds very um, kind of withdrawn it's like, I was thinking of going to the mall this weekend and buying a new watch. I see you have a new watch. Yes, um, it's quite a nice watch. I don't really like the leather strap on it. Uh, uh, well, I might get a metal strap if I get if I get a similar watch that is that kind of really strange kind of slightly off speech pattern. Yeah, um, but it kind of I don't know. I, I don't know it. it It's interesting because I'm going to steal from Bradley. Bradley kind of said when he came out of it that it was essentially it felt like um, the director, you know, had a lot of cred from the lobster. And basically people were like, you can make whatever you want. And then he was like, "Okay, I have this script lying around. So he dusted this one off and made this. But this feels like the thing he makes in between. Uh, his sort of breakout film and the film that he actually wants to make. Right. You know, it, it feels like a kind of in-between film, which isn't to say that there's not a lot of really good, strange, weird, absurdist elements to it. And it's actually, I think it's really gorgeous. And I find his style really fascinating, you know, the sort of the way he uses kind of wide angles and tracking shots and sort of off-center, um, off-center framing. Um, and you know, the cast is great. You got, uh, Nicole Kidman, Colin Farrell. Um, I think the kid, uh, Barry Keoghan, I don't know if that's how you say his name. Uh, but he was the kid in Dunkirk, the one who gets his head, you know, he's the kid who's the part of the dumbest plot point in the the dumbest plot line in in Dunkirk. The main, the main character guy? Well, the kid who like gets knocked out when he's head and then ends up dying and you're kind of like, Oh Oh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, that was that was that was stupid. That guy, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was like that was the bit of Dunkirk where I was like that seemed unnecessary. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, he's an, he's actually really good. He's got this very odd strained American accent because obviously he's British. But I will say it like I think it kind of works for the character. Um, and I mean I think it just you know I th- he has this really great way of mining this sort of um sort of slightly off kilter world and finding sort of ways of creating these, these really absurdist scenarios, even while depicting some really brutal violence and some really harsh shit, In know, in a weird way you could have imagined that this film could have been like a saw knockoff or something like mm. that. But instead they've managed to, you could, you could have imagined the bad thriller version of this, but instead it's like this really weird, odd, like almost indie art film, okay. um, which does mean that it's at times indulgent and it's a bit slow. And especially the third act feels like it's kind of repeating and rambling. It doesn't quite know where it wants to go, but overall, you know, I liked it. I think it, it, it gets a, it gets a healthy slice of cake for the sheer fact that you're like, you know what? <laughs> this is a really strange cake that somebody has made. Like, I did not – I've never had this cake before or right. I've had something similar, but it's it's. – I've never had it quite like this. So I'm I'm kind of intrigued. And maybe you feel a bit sick because it was too rich even in the sort of slice that you had. Yeah. But you're still like, you know what? That was an experience.
1: So, Would you have so, another slice of that weird cake?
0: Um, By the same baker, yes. Maybe okay. not that cake again, okay. but – same yeah. baker. You know, I'd be up for saying what that baker does next. What 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 other cakes he has to, okay. to offer.
1: How was uh how was Colin Farrell? I love that man.
0: See, Colin this is this is again, this is the sort of thing that I think Colin Farrell excels in. And Colin Farrell to me is as he's getting older, is really proving that really what he is is a character actor and not a leading man. Hmm. And and I think, like, that's the thing, is, like, Colin Farrell has an incredible amount of charisma. Like, you can see it just in his interviews. When you're talking to him, he just he exudes charm, mm-hmm. you know. But I think he's one of these guys who often becomes really boring when he's forced to kind of play a traditional leading man role. Hmm. And I think that was... I mean, my favorite uh, Colin Farrell performance has always been... Um, in Bruges which I think just aligns oh, yeah. so much of his kind of just exactly what makes Colin Farrell work and
1: that's kind of when he now he had gone into like rehab and he had a couple of oh, and yeah, no, that was blocks. kind of like, that that, kind of like yeah. when he became the character actor right yeah exactly yeah. and it's
0: it's really interesting because Colin Farrell's kind of breakout film is Tigerland which is just like a complete just star making turn like have you ever seen Tigerland no it's great, it's this little it's 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 the good Joel Schumacher movie. Okay. It's the basically it's um this really low budget Vietnam movie that is all about just soldiers training for the Vietnam War in this uh kind of fake Vietnam they created called Tigerland, which was there to train the troops before they go over, and so it's really about a sort of boot camp, and Colin Farrell is the kind of like. Charismatic badass guy who can kind of like get people who who knows how to get people out of the army. Okay. So he like finds ways to manipulate the army into letting people out. And he again, he is just this um kind of almost otherworldly figure in just how like cool and charismatic and badass he is. And uh and and sexy as fuck. He's a sexy fucking dude in that he movie. He is indeed. As well. Um, and you know, and you just, it's one of those films that you watch and you're just like, that man is a fucking movie star. Hmm. Um, and it's really interesting how little that's really worked out for him when he's put in kind of these traditional leading man roles to me. He Hmm. is a guy who I think is, does a lot better when you sort of give him something to do. You give him a character to be, not just be strong, charismatic, central person.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Okay, moving on. What's the next review?
0: Uh, next one was one that I was—I almost thought you might actually see. Um, well, because... I was actually—I
1: was actually at the theater to see Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I missed one screening by fifteen minutes, and then the next one was in like an hour and a half, and I had something to do, so I couldn't see it. So that one, I actually really do want to see.
0: Well, this one though, this one I'm going to—I'm about to do. I actually thought you might see because you and I are both fans of his first film, uh, Bone Tomahawk. Right. um and uh that film is Brawl in Cell Block
1: 99. Oh, I, I, I don't even know
0: about it. You don't know about Brawl in Cell Block 99? Okay, well, no. it came out on um video on demand about 3 weeks ago. Okay. Um basically it stars Vince Vaughn um and he's playing a uh, drug yeah, he's playing a reformed drug dealer uh, with a sort of shaved head and this giant sort of black cross tattooed on the back of his head. Hmm. Um, and he, the film sort of starts out with him getting fired from his job. Well, he gets let go uh, from his job as a at a, at a mechanic shop. Um, he finds out his wife is thinking of leaving him and has been seeing someone else. And, you know, you see this kind of moment of just how like violent he can be when he just beats the shit out of a car with his bare fists. Jeez. Um, and then kind of what proceeds to happen is his wife informs him she's pregnant and he's like, OK, I'm going to go back into the life to get some money to make sure that I can look after this kid. Gotcha. So he starts, you know, he starts up with his old criminal past and kind of. What follows is essentially one long, slow descent into violence, uh, uncompromising narrative twists, and just hmm. basically just a, an immersion into the blackness of the human soul. Wow. Um, and, you know, and it's it's basically, I mean, you, you remember Bone Tomahawk. You remember how, like, it's punctuated with just these moments of extreme violence that come mm-hmm. out of nowhere, and they're very sort of... Shocking and visceral and i would I would argue that I think this film is 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 even darker and more violent than than bone tomahawk hmm. and it's it's interesting too because i'm I'm really kind of fascinated by the director now because he's also he's doing his next film is a thriller um, which I think concerns the Russian mob and it stars it's going to star vince Vaughn and mel Gibson and you know with he he's kind of um keeps seem to be working with these sort of conservative Actors, Vince Vaughn, uh, Mel Gibson, both conservatives, and um, Kurt Russell's a libertarian. I'm pretty sure he's fairly conservative in terms of his viewpoints. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by this kind of worldview that was slowly mm. sort of emerging from him, which is this very... Uh, this idea of this very sort of bleak, uncompromising world, where you know you you have to the the only way to uh, to survive is through just sort of uh, you know violence and you know and 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 forcefulness and kind mm-hmm. of like and you know all the characters kind of have this code, but ultimately are brought down by the sort of evil surrounding them, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm really interested to see where he goes from here and kind of like, uh, you know, and kind of where this sort of uh, this narrative style kind of develops. Um, but it's in, in the same way as Bone Tomahawk, it's got this very unfussy and quite blunt style, okay. which is that, you know, it's a lot shot in wide angles a lot seems to it, it almost feels like and I and I think he's also a playwright because a lot of it almost starts mm. to feel at times like a play interesting because the camera's really in, in unintrusive it has very it, it's really doesn't in, it's, it, there's, it feels very much like they're lighting environments. They're just kind of shooting in wides and really just focusing on the dialogue and the performances, which isn't, I don't think, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I also, I actually quite like the way that as a director, his interest seems to be in portraying violence in a sort of uncompromising and quite um, brutal fashion. He sh- right. I keep saying brutal, um, but he... he I mean, but, you know, you see things. If a guy's bone breaks, you don't, like, cut to a close-up of a face wincing or, you know, cut away. It's like you see that arm twist back, Yeah, you know. And is, he there using, are moment... is he
1: using lots of practical effects in order oh, to do that? Oh, yeah, it's all that?
0: practical. It looks all oh, cool. practical. Cool. And it's all, you know, incredibly um, – it, it, there's moments of genuinely shocking violence that I, I, as someone who's seen a lot of, like, film, was, was even surprised that it made me wince just how – wow bleak this film was willing to go
1: interesting but
0: i i but i i will say i i i think it's great for whatever you know sort of um for whatever questions i might have about where the the politics of the film are based and where he what what his world view is i i you know i found this uh, an incredibly engaging and kind of riveting watch
1: so how big of a slice of cake <laughs> The only problem is, man, I'm not sure I'd want to have a cake that's like. <laughs> uh, would this the, the, be? Would this be? You want to look at it, and you want to smell it, and you maybe want to lick off some frosting, and you're looking forward to the next cake.
0: I think you know. I think you look at it and you go like, you know. I mean, I, you know what this is too. This is a very, this is a very functional cake. This is like, this is like <laughs> just a cake. big. Um, It's like a big slab of chocolate cake with like no real kind of like, there's there's no like fancy icing shit or anything like that. It's got a job to do. In fact, you know what? This is like, it's like, you know, it's like banana bread or something like that, but it's like a big healthy (laughs) chunk of it, Okay, you know, it's not like, you know, this this, 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 is your, your, your fancy, fluffy artistry crap. This is, this is thick and solid and hard and you're going to, you're going to fucking eat it.
1: Oh, I like that. Okay. That sounds good. All right, what's next? Okay, so next is Thor Ragnarok. All right, now I'm actually really excited to hear you talk about this. Now, I have not seen this, but I am going to be seeing this in the next week or so. And the reason I'm going to see this is for two reasons. One, it's like the highest rated Marvel movie ever – and two, I've heard that it basically is kind of a piece of shit that just looks like a cartoon. So I've heard two different things, and I'm so curious because a film that is that polarizing, I'm really curious to see. Now, the people that said it was shitty are people like you, people who are in the film industry. And the people who have said it's amazing are more sort of like like critic types who I don't always agree with. Um, so I'm curious to see what your thoughts are.
0: I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it's kind of both. Um, okay. Would be okay. my answer. That's so what, I, yeah,
1: that's perfect. Yeah.
0: I mean, so the basic answer is so the basic basic concept is Thor finds out he has a sister. It turns out she's the goddess of death. After failing to prevent her from taking over Asgard, he winds up on a trash planet, enslaved to the ruler, who forces him to fight uh, gladiators and combats. And Thor must figure out a way of escaping and returning to Asgard to prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. And you know. Basically, so, so basically what this movie is, is it is half the most expensive Saturday morning cartoon you've ever seen okay. and half a boring ass Marvel movie. It's like and those two halves are competing with each other the whole time. So I, and, and to me, like the film, it's fun in a lot of places, but it also has the unwieldy element of the fact that it's a Marvel movie. So the first 30 minutes is basically them tying up all the loose plot threads from the last Thor movie that they clearly had no interest in actually delving into and just wanted to get rid of. Um, so I don't know, did, did you see Thor the Dark World?
1: No, I don't care okay. about the Thor Okay, so films. at
0: the end of Thor the Dark World, Loki takes over Asgard and pretends to be Odin, but it's like a teaser at the end. And then clearly somewhere along the line, because Thor the Dark World was a piece of shit, so clearly somewhere along the line they were like, oh fuck, we gotta explain that now. So, they're like, okay, um, Thor returns to Asgard. Oh, oh, and immediately figures out it's Loki. And I will say, I don't want to spoil things, but there is a very, very... There's a crazy ass cameo that you do not see coming, you know, at that point, which is quite amusing. So (laughs) fair play to that. But so for me, it took about 30 minutes for this film to kick in. Um, And um, and then Kate Blanchett shows up as the goddess of death because the plot needs her to at that point. (laughs) And it's like it's like, you know, Anthony Hopkins, who's clearly on a green screen somewhere, goes, oh, um, yeah, you've got a sister. And I, like, banished her for some reason. But now she's coming back, and there's, like, a portal over there. I'm going to die, which means she's coming back, because reasons. So yeah. Kate Blanchett shows up, and she's like, I'm way more powerful than you fuckers, so I'm going to fucking take over Asgard, because reasons, because I want to, because I'm evil, and that's what evil people do. And so then Thor gets banished to this trash planet which is where the movie actually starts to get really fun and because you know why because that's when the film kind of becomes a taika waititi film and (laughs) uh he's had to do all of this getting rid of the fucking marvel shit and then he gets to take over and kind of make the film that i kind of wanted to watch and i i i will say this chris hemsworth is a funny fucker like i i i like chris hemsworth a lot especially when he's in sort of this Comedy mode, and the reason I actually quite like the first Thor movie is a lot of the first Thor movie is fish out of water. Chris Hemsworth being funny so right. like the shit where he like walks into a pet store and goes I need your strongest horse you know it's, <laughs> shit like that is right. the shit I liked about Thor Yeah, yeah. So and this movie just doubles down on that like this film just like has figured out that Chris Hemsworth is funny and that's the best thing that they can do with Thor so honestly I would have watched a 90 minute film that was nothing but Thor hanging out on a trash planet that's ruled by Jeff Goldblum doing the most Jeff Goldblum you could possibly imagine it's like almost like they said to him, you know what, you know how like Jeff Gold, you know the Jeff Goldblum persona, do that as Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> um, and but then um and and so i I would watch that for 90 minutes just thor hanging out with some weird aliens on a trash planet and actually what the funniest character in it is a motion capture rock monster played by taika waititi who's got like this kind of like broish new zealand accent and it's 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 great and then it and then you have to periodically cut back to kate blanchett like Doing her, like, pantomime villain thing. And uh, fair enough. Kate Blanchett knows exactly what movie she's in. I'm not ragging on Kate Blanchett. I like Kate Blanchett. But fuck if I gave a shit about what yeah. was going on on Asgard and all of that stuff. I didn't give a fuck. I just want to get back to Thor hanging out on the trash planet. <laughs> and then so finally Thor gets off the trash planet, at which point I'm like, oh, great. So it's like another 30 minutes of this movie until, like, it's done. And that was kind of it. So there was... There was a there was probably a decent there was a, probably a 90 minute film in there that I was really excited to be
1: watching trapped in a 2 hour 10 15 minute movie. Okay. So this is going to be a strange type of cake. What type of cake is this? This is like a cake where, you know, you're really enjoying the frosting, but
0: the sponge is really kind of, it's it's been out for a little bit, so it's a little bit hard, and it's like gone a little bit stale. Um, but like the frosting's still good.
1: And you just but wish at the, the whole same thing time, were frosting.
0: And you just kind of wish the whole thing was frosting, even though that probably wouldn't be good for you. Yeah, but um, you still
1: have to eat the whole cake if you're going to do it.
0: We've we've now completely changed the system. The system used to be how big was the piece. Now we're just describing what the cake is. (laughs) Call Me By Your Name is the new film by uh, Luca Guadagnino. Uh, Again, my pronunciation is probably fucking terrible. Uh, Who is the director of I Am Love. And uh, for me, most significantly, A Bigger Splash. Which was a film I really liked. Was in my top ten year it came out. Um, And... Basically, the film revolves around a young man called uh, Elio living in Italy during the 1980s. He's an American who's like, well, he's like half American, half Italian, um, and his dad's like a academic, and uh, he has a, they sort of bring a student in for the summer to help with um, the various research and academic shit, and uh, that student is Oliver, played by Army Hammer. Um, who, mm. uh, basically is hunky and sexy and, uh, Elio feels some, some stirring in his pants mm. and, um, <laughs> a passionate relationship develops out of it with this 17 year old boy and a slightly older man. Um, mm. And they sort of have a bond over their Jewish heritage and the Italian landscape. And it's all very idyllic. And in so many ways, I kind of think on paper, this film is like what conservative America thinks independent cinema is. It's like <laughs> just a bunch of shit about like European countryside and homosexual love and all that crap. Um, so, um, yeah, and this is kind of like... Um, yeah. You know, and and so I mean, like, I the thing that I really liked about a Bigger Splash is a Bigger Splash had this kind of real visual vitality to it. Um okay. even though, you know, even though it's a kind of in many ways it's kind of chamber piece drama, the works the very energetic, it's very creative. And also you have um these really sort of big, exciting performances from Ray Fines and Um, Tilda Swinton and even like uh, Dakota Johnson. Um, And actually it's like all of his films seem to be set in these sort of impossibly idyllic, beautiful Italian landscapes where you kind of wonder, is he being like bribed by the Italian government to make films for the, like the tourist (laughs) board or something. But um, what I, what I thought was interesting is I would in many ways agree that call me by your name is a better film than a bigger splash overall but I prefer a Bigger Splash. Now, Bigger Splash has the problem of I like the first part of it, like the first two thirds of it so much that I can totally forgive the fact that it completely shits the bed in the last 20 minutes and basically becomes a terrible movie um, hmm. for like 20 minutes. Like the first part of it is so good that that last 20 minutes, you can kind of forgive the fact that it becomes a terrible movie. Um, right. But this is kind of... This is, this feels more restrained, more low key, and it's really nicely handled. And I, I think all of the kind of elements of kind of burgeoning sexuality are done really well. And it's one of those films where, you know, you notice a lot in say a gesture or a look somebody gives. Mm. And he's very good at that. He's very good at communicating how, um, how, uh, you know, uh, characters are communicating with each other in a nonverbal fashion. Um, Mm. I just found myself finding it very hard to be emotionally involved in this. And people kind of built this up in my mind that this was going to be like some kind of crazy tearjerker. And I was going to be so emotionally swept away with it. And my problem is ultimately I'm like, he's fucking 17. Like this is like, this is his first ever kind of crush, his first ever kind of lusty experience, his first relationship. And we all have that. We all have that person that we get a little bit too involved with that they're, there are what we put into them was more than they were willing to put back into us. And more than we were like, we saw something that it maybe wasn't. And then mm. we overestimate that and we get our hearts broken. We all do that. Every, every person kind of has that. It's a kind of universal experience in a lot of ways. And, you know, and that's what this is to me. This isn't some like great unrequited love story. This is about a 17 year old kid who kind of has his first brush with love and passion. And, you know, and I'm kind of like, mm. I'm like, he's a good-looking kid. He's rich as fuck. He lives in the fucking, he, you know, he can go, like, he has a summer house in the fucking Italian countryside with fucking, you know, um, a maid. Like, he, he could sit right. around and read all day in the sunlight. I'm like, I don't feel sorry for this guy. Like, it's like, right. he's, a, he's like, I'm, I'm just like, why why do I care? And it's, it's going to be interesting, because when we bring this up later with Whip It, I'm going to have some things to say about that film. By do you think that people
1: are sort of imbuing it with such value because it's about the, the boys, not just his first relationship or his first sort of experience of love, but because it's a homosexual relationship? Like, do you think there's something that there's sort of like, there's like a sort of romanticism about the coming out it's, story? It's
0: possible. It's interesting because this is written by, the screenplay is done by um, James Ivory, who, of course, is famous for writing all of these kind of um, costume dramas. Um, the, he's part of that sort of Merchant Ivory you know, sort of um, run of these sort of uh, really strong um, uh, period films, like, you know, Howard's End and A Room with a View and um, yeah. all, uh, Remains of the Day, all that sort of, all those films. Um, and, you know, and it, it, to a certain extent, you can see why he, I mean, I, I think he is gay. Um, so you, you can see why this film appealed to him. You can see why he made sense as the screenwriter of it. But I I, I mean, it's interesting to, to compare this film to, say, something like Moonlight, where I felt very... Emotionally invested in Moonlight, and I felt um, there there felt like real stakes to, to Moonlight. Mm. I didn't feel this kid. There was a lot of stakes in this love story, you know. I I, did, I found it hard to be that invested in it, and I thought kind of like, that's nice, you know. Army Hammer's a hot dude. They hooked up. That was nice. They had a kind of like thing. I had a fling. It was nice. I I I don't know. I just I I found it hard to care that much at the end of it. You know? And it's Yeah. And I think and and this may be me being some kind of shitty class warrior here and being like, well fuck fuck the rich and their problems. He's got a fucking nice house. Fuck him. Why do I care what his (laughs) what his problems are? I want gimme I care about the poor gay black kid who's gonna get fucking beaten up if people find out he's gay. That's what I fucking care about. And you know and again I really liked Moonlight. I thought Moonlight was great. So maybe that's it. Maybe I find it hard to connect to this character in some kind of a way. Mm. But it's very handsomely made. All the performances are great. It's 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 pristine, but ultimately I felt very, very disconnected, and 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 it doesn't help that I think I got a lot of build up going into it. Like people were talking about this Michael Showalter speech, and they were talking about it in the way of say Michelle Williams in. Um, Uh, Manchester by the Sea, where it's like this show-stopping moment where you're kind of like, oh my god, that deserves an Oscar just for that that one five-minute chunk. And I was kind of like, okay, one, I'm not really sure I actually like what the message of the speech is saying because to me the speech is basically saying like, you're a seventeen year old kid and you 've had the love of your life and now and and you 'll never find that love again, so you need to go like pursue that which i 'm kind of like i 'm kind of like that's kind of a bullshit thing to be saying and i, yeah. I and i I also just was kind of like it felt very over wordy very try hard very over poetic and i i don 't know i, I don 't think it was that amazing to be honest it was kind of built up in, and I like michael Showalter. it it just it, it wasn 't like this big grandstanding moment for me that other people sort of built it up into, so I was kind of like. Yeah, and I think that's kind of all what right. I felt about the film in the end. I felt like, you know, this is all really nice, um, appreciative, but, you know, I, as much as A Bigger Splash is a much messier and less cohesive film, uh, I, I I think I just enjoy the boldness and vibrancy of it a, a lot more. All right, so what kind of cake? Um, This is a very handsomely made... Um cake that uh looks very, very nice and you almost feel guilty that you have to eat, um, but also <laughs> uh could have done with a little bit more flavor. Death of Stalin is the new film by Armando Innucci, who did In the Loop. He also did the TV show The Thick of It and more recently Veep in the United States. Yes. Um movie begins with Radio Moscow broadcasting an orchestral performance of Mozart. Uh, once the performance is completed, the head of the radio station is informed that Stalin wants a recording of the performance. Uh, necessitating him to restage the entire performance because it wasn't recorded.
1: Um, <laughs> when the great. recording,
0: when the c- recording is complete, the lead <laughs> pianist uh, adds a note in the recording to Stalin, telling him that he has ruined the country. Stalin receives the recording and, as he reads the note, suffer, suffers a cerebral hemorrhage and promptly falls down and dies. At which point, the film kicks in with all the various characters um, then sort of vying for control of the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> what year and, is this about? Uh, heck, what would it have been? It's been like 1954, Okay, 55? so it's, it's the 50s. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I mean, do you know much about this time period? Uh, relatively, yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of takes... It's 1953. So it it kind of takes what... Um, Happened over about a nine month period and compresses it into like three or four days. Okay. Um, With kind of all like the main players uh, played by sort of great uh, American and British comedians. So uh, Jeffrey Tambor is uh, Malenkov, the guy who kind of took over after Stalin. Steve Buscemi is Khrushchev. Um, You know, uh, then you have, uh, you know, Palin is Molotov and, um, uh, Simon Russell Beale as um, Beria, who is kind of the head of, it wasn't the KGB then, it was called something else, but it's like basically the kind of secret police who are disappearing people off to the gulags. Okay. And so they're all kind of like, uh, and, and so it, it gets into this kind of fun, kind of like power struggle. Well, fun in the sense of it's really horrifying and dark and cruel and terrible, but, you know, <laughs> but it's still a British comedy. It's, right,
1: right, right, right. And
0: it's, it's you know, it's got that Dr. Strange love quality. Where what you are dealing with is so horrific and so insane that you just have to start to laugh at the absurdism of it Mm. because it's just so fucking crazy what these people are doing. Um, and then also like gets into this great, what I think the Brits do perfectly, which is the whole idea of the comedy of manners. So they get into this weird stuff. Like, for instance, like they're at the funeral and they worry about the positions they're in. So Steve Buscemi is trying to get people to switch with him. So he has a better position, but, and he's, he's like, and they're but trying to make it look like it's part of the ceremony at the same time. Uh, right. Um, and the cast is just fantastic. I mean, that's what it is. It's truly an ensemble film, right? Uh, Jason Isaacs as the sort of, uh, head of the Russian, of the, the Soviet army is just fucking hilarious. Um, Mm. it just comes up with these great lines like, uh, like, right, I'm off to go represent the red army at the buffet. (laughs) Um, and, (laughs) um, and it's, oh, it's, it's like, have you seen, so have you watched you obviously we watched in the loop. Yeah, yeah, we
1: watched in the loop and I've seen the thick of it.
0: I I think the thing is I mean it lacks that sort of Malcolm Tucker character, that kind of central kind of ridiculous all-knowing, mm. you know, sort of uh character that just kind of really crystallizes as as the as the breakout person within it. Okay. But I think still manages to have that asserti- acerbic wit that kind of like really characterizes Inucci's work. Um, And I think also the interesting thing, of course, is that the stakes are a lot different because in British politics, it's a, uh, it's about um, national embarrassment or having to leave your post or something like this. In this, you're actually dealing with people who are genuinely dealing with life and death. And the film has like an actual actual like executions in it and, and <laughs> like really like Proper things, and that was like at the time Stalin was just fucking disappearing all all the people he didn't like. So there's there's literally a bit in it where they're talking about getting a doctor, and they're like, "Well, we we kind of got rid of all the doctors, so we don't have any good doctors because we got rid of all the good doctors," <laughs> you know. Um, and it's it's interesting because um, I think Peter Hitchens wrote something in like the Daily Mail or some brag about how this was appalling, you were trivializing the horrors of the Soviet Union and how the people who made this should be ashamed of himself. And you're kind of like, fuck off, man. I mean, this is like, (laughs) you know, I, I think I think that's the real beauty of the film is when you are confronted by this kind of insane evil in the world there is that point there is something really powerful in being able to say we can laugh at the absurdism of it while acknowledging mm. just how insane it is
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: um so I, I i would recommend it
1: and what about the cake the cake would
0: be, i would say um i'd, I'd say it's a it's a, it's a very it's it's a big slice of cake probably more than you should be eating but at the same time <laughs> you know it, it, it's 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 still good it, and you're not gonna, you're so not going to feel
1: too guilty after after you're
0: eating not going to feel guilty well you know what because because you know the cake is made of some uh super healthy kind of thing that you know it's like it's like you ate it's like carrot cake so there's that little part of your brain that's tricking you into thinking it's nutritious
1: ah ah i like that all right okay so what's next on the docket
0: Uh, Next, I'll try and just move through pretty quickly, which is a movie called Happy Death Day. Uh, It is about uh, a character called Tree, uh, short for Teresa, who wakes up in a strange dorm room at college after a night of heavy drinking. She goes about her day. We find out she's kind of a bitch, kind of a bit self-involved, and she hates when anyone acknowledges that it's her birthday. And then that night, she gets murdered by a mass killer, and then suddenly wakes up in the same dorm room she woke up that morning. That's right. It's Groundhog Day meets Scream, except nowhere as good as either of those movies. (laughs) Um, And every day she gets killed by the same masked man, only to wake up the next morning and then have a new chance to figure out who murdered her. So this is kind of the latest from Blumhouse with their kind of whole... Mm. A um, you know, model of the sort of like nothing above five million kind yeah. of like and they make um, like
1: five of them or whatever they're doing at a time strong mind. sort of and
0: genre pieces yeah. you know, and they and it did it it did very well it would it it, it definitely made it it made good money so you know it, it, all the power to them um it's a PG thirteen slasher movie is movies made for twelve and thirteen year olds who don't watch horror ah, films um gotcha. you know and and it, honestly it doesn't feel like a horror film you know it feels like it's kind of more of like a dark comedy slash teen movie um you know it's a decent concept with a fairly underwhelming execution all of the actors are kind of your general good-looking but bland people who are all kind of mugging a bit too much for the camera yeah i I think the film feels a little bit too convinced of its own cleverness Mm. and which really doesn't help when it has just an insanely dumb twist at the end of it that makes literally no sense and it's just there kind of because I, they were like a part they were like of, oh yeah
1: i'm sorry yeah no i was gonna say part of me kind of loves though the the simplicity even though i also hate it at the same time part of me loves the simplicity of how you can pitch this film you know that someone was like listen it's groundhog day meets scream and they're like Whoa, I love both of those movies. How does that well, work? That
0: was, that was actually what got me to go to it, because I was kind of like, you know what, I kind of like this idea. I, kind <laughs> of, I, I find it funny that Groundhog Day has essentially become its own subgenre now, mm-hmm. you know, with like, you know, Edge of Tomorrow and uh, a bunch of other one ones on Was that one with Jake
1: Earth? Gyllenhaal on the train?
0: Yeah, um source code. Yeah, source so it's code, like, yeah, yeah. It, it has kinda of
1: become its own subgenre now. So yeah.
0: yeah, I'm I'm like I'm okay with somebody kinda of taking that and applying it to the horror thing. I think they missed some really interesting ideas. Like, I thought it would be more interesting if like the, if it would there would be more stakes to it if the idea is that she can only she has to like survive the whole night in order to get out of this loop or something and then mm. so she has to find a way to keep avoiding the killer or something like that or you know it's more of like like Groundhog Day it's like Groundhog Day the stakes are just the idea of this existential crisis that he's forever trapped in this repeating day and that he may never get out of it which this film kind of sets up this mystery like the whole point is that she has to find the killer. And it's not very interesting in the okay. end, you
1: know. The, uh, the, so what, the, kind, the solution what kind of cake? Would this be like a, a, a sweet 16 This is, cake? This is
0: like – this is a supermarket <laughs> store cake where you're just kind of like, I guess this was fine – but you know the icing was a bit hard and nasty because it has to sit there in a box for a while before yep. you pick it up. This thing wasn't made fresh, so you're just kind of like this thing. Thing is mi- built for mass production, so it's yep. not a it's not a very satisfying cake. It's, it's like it's a fine. six pack
1: of cupcakes that you get with like the sprinkles on top.
0: Yeah, exactly. That that's what it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, and on that note, uh, we're going to something in a similar vein, which is the babysitter. The the newest film from the auteur that is Mick um, <laughs> So it's about 12 year old named Cole, who is a magnet for bullies and he is very insecure and neurotic. And he is like your geeky kid. Who's into, you know, sci-fi and all that crap. He's, he is your movie geek kid protagonist. Okay. Anyway. Okay. He also happens to have a very, very hot, babysitter, who is kind of like, you know, I suppose kind of like, you know, uh, that that sort of 12-year-old, he has that sort of 12-year-old crush on her, where, like, he doesn't really know what he would do with her, because he's 12 and he doesn't really know anything, (laughs) but at some point, but he's he's definitely, he's got some kind of, like, innocent crush kind of thing going. And so the film kind of sets it up like, you know, she's, I don't know, um, kind of cool, older girl. Um, she's, she will, she does like, sort of like, she talks to him about like sci-fi shit. She protects him from bullies. And so he think and so it's, it's kind of almost set up at the beginning, like this is going to be some kind of coming of age comedy sort of thing. And then about 30 minutes in, you get this reveal, uh, when, uh, Cole's parents go away for the weekend, she's looking after him. And that night she brings around all her friends and they sacrifice somebody to the devil, and uh, it turns out that she wants to murder Cole uh, as <laughs> a blood sac to murder a sort of virgin sacrifice so that they can all get what they want. And one of her friends is is Bella Thorne, if that kind of gives you any yep. indication of kind of like what this movie is. And yeah. And so then it turns into a kind of film where he has to sort of, you know, get away from the weird um, slightly to uh, this film kind of wants to be scream as well, like in the sense that. Everybody is sarcastic. Everybody is kind of all-knowing. Everybody is kind of borderline breaking the fourth wall. It's mm. it's like it's constantly acknowledging its own ridiculousness. Well, it's, it's, it's
1: like we talked about last week. It's really difficult to not be self-aware after Scream was made. You know, you kind of almost have to make a, a meta – ...type of horror film these days.
0: But weirdly, I think, actually, the the balance that Scream manages to do is it manages to kind of still be a horror film while doing
1: that. No, 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 not not Scream. Scream was great. We're talking about... No, 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 that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is great about Scream. Yeah.
0: I think that's the thing that almost every other film that tries to do it fails at. Is It's like that they can't balance it. And this feels like they are trying so hard to be funny and alternative and kind of like too clever... And I just think it's one of those films that it's not a bad concept, but a much better director could have possibly done something more interesting with it. Okay, because a lot of it feels very lazy. So, are you saying
1: your cake then would be you'll take all of the ingredients, but you'll give it to another baker to bake?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that would that would would possibly be it. You know, and you know, it's not without its its few kind of moments. It was on Netflix, so it's kind of one of those things. It's not like I went to. I probably feel a bit harsher towards it if I went and sat in the cinema and watched it. But I, I watched it on Netflix while I played Madden. It wasn't like right. I, I really, like, lost anything. Anyway, final film, which safe for last because it is another Netflix movie that's out right now, and it stars... Your boy. My boy, Frank Grillo, who is my man crush who I occasionally cheat on Kurt Russell with. So... <laughs> This movie is called The Wheelman, and it is basically, did you see the movie Locke with Tom I, I, Hardy?
1: I love Locke.
0: This is Locke, but if Locke was like a thriller, like in a con, okay. rather than Tom Hardy just like talking to people on the phone about uh, about how you pour concrete and oh, his baby mama. Such you know? such
1: Such a good movie.
0: It is it is but you know Locke is almost a play. It's like yeah. it, it's like the visual components of Locke are so small whereas like this film he's like he's driving around the city, he's picking people up, but the the camera for most of the film doesn't ever leave the car. Okay. So the film starts in the car, you know, can, you know, Frank Gorilla gets in and from then on we're going and it's kind of like one of those ticking clock movies. It takes place in one night. So the idea is that basically he's a getaway driver. And, um, during the bank robbery, he receives a mysterious message saying the other men on the job are going to kill him and take the money. Um, so he impulsively decides to, um, to gun the car and get, um, and get away before the guys can get in the car. Uh, at which point it's like, was this person on the phone lying to him? Is he not now he's in trouble with the people who set up the job? All sorts of various sort of, like, things are sort of flying around. And the reason it's a lot like Locke is because a lot of the film involves him driving around while talking on the phone to people. Okay. Um, You know, and he occasionally picks people up. But there is this kind of... There is a kind of ticking clock element to it. But it's... There's also a lot of human drama element. And Fred Girl is actually a really just kind of really natural screen presence. Like, and he just manages to take... You know, dialogue in situations that could sound really ridiculous, and just he just weighs them down with this real kind of like effortless. You know, sort of gravitas.
1: He's kind of just a dude. He is. He I have heard him in interviews. He was on a podcast called Fighter and the Kid podcast that I listen to every once in a while. And he was chatting about how he's not really into acting techniques and he doesn't yeah. have a lot of friends who are actors. He's just kind of like a dude that stumbled into acting. And it's not he even- like, feel like that, It's though. not even like his passion and his love. Yeah. It's just sort of like he does it and, and not that he doesn't love it. But he does it and he kind of has other interests. Like he enjoys fighting. So he trains and he fights and that's like his thing. But, it, but that, it's not like thing. he's somebody like an you. artist. He's not an if, artist. That's,
0: like, that's <laughs> like if somebody told you that like Frank Grillo was just some guy in a gym. And then somebody said, oh, he's got a good look. Uh, do you want to say a couple of lines in this movie? And then they were like, wow, this guy's actually really fucking good. Do you want to be an actor? That, like You would <laughs> believe that that's, what, uh, that's how Frank Grillo became an actor. Yeah, But he used to be like on like The Young and the Restless or something. He like used to be on one of those soap operas like back in the day.
1: Pretty boy. He probably yeah. started off as a model pretty dude. They put him on a soap opera and he, and he started doing it. But, yeah.
0: But, like, it's it's interesting because to me Frank Grillo is the complete opposite of what I was talking about with Colin Farrell. Like, Frank Grillo is not a character actor. Frank Grillo is that guy you hire to be in the film to be Frank Grillo. Like, because, yeah. he, because he's just, again, so effortlessly fits that. Like, yeah. you know, he is just your central protagonist in the most easy way possible like you know you don't (laughs) have to do any work you just put him on screen and he's just frank grillo and he's fucking awesome and again like wheelman is nothing amazing but you know what it is just it is a fun 90 minutes to sit in a car with (laughs) frank grillo being frank grillo
1: yeah all right so what kind of cake
0: um you know this is just like a really good just nice slice of solid i don't know strawberry shortcake or something like that. You're just kind of like, yeah, it's nothing like amazing. It's the sort of thing that I've had a thousand times before, but you know what? It's
1: damn good. I love it. I love it. If I could have dinner with anyone, it would have to be God. My mom is going to kill me. It says temporary. Also from Bodine,
0: Miss Bliss Cavender. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sorry that these pageants don't live up to your high moral standards, but there's a lot you can learn from them no matter what you go on to be in life. Out of all the places to go to
0: in the world, who would come to Bodine? So what are you like, alternative
1: now? Alternative to what? What is this? Roller Derby?
0: Ooh. Welcome to Skate Night at the warehouse.
1: The boys wanna be her, wanna be oh, oh, oh. Clean up on five. I just want to tell y'all you that you're my like new heroes. well. Put some skates on. Be your own hero. The last time I wore skates, they had Barbie's on them.
0: I wanna be her. I guess didn't. You could be our mascot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to change my work schedule because I want to take an SAT class on Tuesdays, Thursdays. I'm impressed.
0: I like smart girls. That's why I married your mama. Well, that and I knocked her up. Whippet is the story of Bliss, played by Ellen Page, who lives in a small town in Texas called Bodine. Uh, Bliss's mother wants Bliss to compete in beauty pageants, but Bliss is disinterested. Uh, While on a shopping trip in Austin, Bliss sees some girls handing out flyers for the local roller derby, which she sneaks off to go watch. Before you know it, she's joined the roller derby team competing under the name Babe Ruthless while lying to her parents and telling them she's taking an SAT prep course. A whole new world of people and experiences open up to bliss through the world of the Derby, including a romance with an indie rocker who I imagine is basically exactly what Austin was like when he was in a band.
1: Oh, my God.
0: However... Her new double life leads to strains on her friendship and her relationships back in Bodine, and when her parents find out she's been lying to them, there is a huge bust-up which ends up in Bliss storming out and crashing on a teammate's couch. Meanwhile, she also finds pictures of her indie rocker boyfriend, aka Austin in a band, standing next to a girl who is wearing a t-shirt that Bliss had given him. Of course, everything gets resolved when Bliss and her mother try to understand each other's positions. Bliss's dad stands up to Bliss's mom saying if she that if Bliss loves roller derby, they should support whatever makes her happy. And Bliss tells the indie rock Austin to fuck off. <laughs> she then rejoins the team so they could promptly lose the championship game. But it's okay because that wasn't what the movie was about. It was about the emotional triumph.
1: Oh, it was.
0: So I got like I got I got a message from Austin last night. It was two messages. One was like, "Dude, this movie is giving me the feels." And I <laughs> hope Austin, that was not the feels for 17-year-old girls. It was an emotional it was it was an emotional feel, right?
1: First of all, Ellen Page was 23 when she made this film. So you know, even though I'm not her type, because yeah, she's
0: not. You're, you're not her type, definitely. I isn't. have,
1: I have a penis. Um, nevertheless, I still have a little bit of a. I have an innocent crush on Ellen Page, though. It's not like a, a sexual desire. It's more of a God. I just kind of like want to be her friend because she's Is so.
0: But is it like? Do you have like a talent crush on her? Because she's very, she's yeah. a very good actor. I and could,
1: I could have a talent crush on her. Yeah, yeah, that could be it. I also have a little talent. Yeah, I have a talent crush on her best friend, the character that plays her best friend, who I Ali
0: Ali Sharcot.
1: Yeah, she's great, man. Oh, she yeah. is, she's fantastic, and their relationship was good. Listen, this film, man, it got me, it got me right to the core. I cried like seven times. <laughs>
0: the team 's success is not really what the point of the film is the 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 point is what the film represents It's, it's actually quite interesting too because since this film came out, Ellen page um, also came out as a as a lesbian um, and it 's interesting to me that looking at it now from with that in mind, the film actually has some really interesting parallels with this idea of people's true self being something that they have to hide away in a sort of mm. conservative environment that isn't really does not that there, where there's not a lot of what they are represented and then they mm. find their place that they belong and people who they belong with. And so I, I thought there's some really interesting Um, parallels with the idea of what it must have been like and probably what it still is like for an awful lot of gay kids um, living in small town America, you know, what they find in, say, like the big cities when they sort of find the gay communities.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting because you you get a lot of these stories of the sort of The teenager who has to hide something from their parents to follow a passion that they love that jars with their parents' expectations and then the underdog story, the kid who's kind of the outcast who finds their purpose or their place in life doing something and they overcome their limitations and they get strengthened in the process and they find a community, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds cliche. Um, All of those are boxes that have been ticked a thousand times. But I think the reason that this film was so successful and, – and as I was watching this, I had this overwhelming sort of almost an empathic connection as someone himself who finds, who finds himself at odds with the sort of prevailing symbolic order of typical sort of Western capitalist uh, neoliberal culture and sort of traditional family values and things like that as someone who kind of is always searching for something deeper, more authentic, uh, sort of – almost transcending, if you will, the the established order. I kind of found that that's what this film was doing, but it was so successful because it wasn't blatant about it. It wasn't like – it wasn't that she was raised in a rich family and then she was going to the roller derby. It was very slight, the difference. She mm. was in a family that was working class. The mom works, and it was almost like the, the father – Sort of works, he works at this job that he obviously just he kind of like watches football games and drinks beers while he 's doing it, um, but you know they, they it's a working class family and well, they and, did... and there 's
0: a hint too, at the idea that you know they were kid they were a, a, a couple, they were a couple in high school, and that right. uh, he knocked up the mom at, at a fairly young age, and that yeah you know, and that they weren 't people who ever had much aspirations or ambitions in terms of what they were gonna do with their lives and they've kind of settled into this idea that this is this is their life in this small town.
1: Yeah. Yeah And, and they didn't try too hard. Drew Barrymore didn't try too hard to make the drama uh between you know the life that th- the parents want for her and the life that the parents have versus ellen page's passion it's almost like they could coexist but they just don't not because of any sort of like socioeconomic pressures like a rich versus a poor society but more based on a sort of like fantasy of expectation of the dream that the mom has for the daughter to strive for more but the way that she wanted her to strive for more was through this Medium of like the beauty pageants that could hopefully get her to like these higher levels of success. It's, and
0: it's, of course, it's what she understands. She understands exactly. that. And, that was her. So, that was her past. And it's it's like I think Marsha Gay Harden is fucking phenomenal in this oh, film. Like she's great. I, I I I just think it's actually kind of an incredible performance. And I because <laughs> there's so many layers to that character. And he, here's the yeah. thing is I was thinking about this. Like on paper this is just an incredibly generic film. But right. the thing is, like, everything about it is so well handled and sort of given this kind of just – this this real subtle edge at all times. And yes. it's like – for instance, like, I – you know, and it's, it's something that, again, you really start to appreciate when you – the more, you know, the more you watch it as well. So, for instance, there's a scene um, – at the beginning when they first go to Austin on a shopping trip and it's like, an, and she's in, um, Ellen Page is in some kind of like thrift store hot topic kind of thing. And she's buying some boots and it is not, uh, it's not an <laughs> invite. And I think, you know, I think we can all remember the experience of going shopping with your mother and wanting to buy something like, Cool, but it feels weird that your mother's in that environment, and all of that, yep. and it's like, um sorry, mom, I know she and she, <laughs> she listening um but you know i I think there's there's that moment where she looks down and she sees like the bongs that are under the register and she goes, Oh, really pretty vases, and they start laughing <laughs> at her, and it's this moment of just like what like is on her face at that moment in time it's really just it's subtle because she 's embarrassed and she 's humiliated and she doesn't know how to react in that moment in time because it's it's she's worried about her daughter she doesn't she she doesn't she's not happy about her being in this environment but she's also kind of hurt that she 's been made fun of you know mm. and it's and i and I just think it's i just think i just think it's i, I think it's 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 kind of and she she kind of then has to go save face in some kind of way by sort of saying we're, we're not buying these boots here because this is this is not an appropriate place and mm. and it's I don't know it's just it, again I could yeah, see so the question I could, is, I could is, see the version of this performance where it's just she's just a mean vindictive person but that's not how how Marcia Gay Harden's playing it and I just no. think through this entire film, this 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 mother character could be insufferable, but but yeah. Marsha Gay Harden knows exactly what she's doing in terms of playing the notes, and that that's what this performance is. It's playing the notes at all times. Yeah,
1: I mean she's trying so hard to to keep a level of decorum, and so there's an interesting tension. I like that 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 scene that you mentioned. It's so interesting. She gets embarrassed. Uh, there's a sense of humiliation. And so then she decides you can't buy it. And then she uses her her feeling of humiliation to justify her reestablishment of the need for decorum. And she says, well, what kind of mother would I be if I, if I was shopping in a head shop with my daughter? And so there's this sense in which there's this interesting sort of uh, like unconscious repression. And then she filters that repression through the need to continue to establish that decorum that she's ultimately trying to to project but that isn't real that's not what's real what's real is her smoking her cigarette in the kitchen that she's again trying to hide from her kids and that's what's real it's her being just a normal fucking human yeah rather and then her and her, and her husband clearly image.
0: have like a healthy sex life she's clearly not a yep. complete prude because like right. she makes a whole bunch of jokes about ooh, we can have some time alone and you know do, do our thing you know and it's <laughs> right like, and but you know it's the reason that that the reason that that is important too, is because that moment when she's at the pageant and you know she she said i want to do this pageant and she said don't you're not you mean doing at the it end? just for me yeah yeah at yeah at the end yeah okay. at the end and um and she says to her did you mean it when you said that you weren't doing this pad? You were doing this. You weren't doing this pattern just for me, right? Well, uh, real quick,
1: just just so for people listening, because we kind of just jumped real quick. So basically, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end, yeah, at the end, there's a scene where uh, there's a bit where Ellen Page, she's been hiding the fact that she's on this roller roller derby team for a long time. She finally gets outed. Her parents get upset. She comes back and um, she tells her mom that she's going to do this pageant and Marsha Gay Harden, and her mom, says, you know, uh, I don't want you to do it for me. And Ellen Page basically says, I'm not doing it just for you. I'm I'm doing it for myself. I, w- so I want to do
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly.
0: I, and then, you know, but she is, of course, she's doing it for Marsha Gay Harden because the, the the way that the plot mechanics work is that this pageant is also on the same night as the roller derby championships. Right. um So... um. Marsha Gay Harden, when she says, you're not doing this, you you weren't, were you lying when you said you weren't doing this just for me? Um, and she, she can't, and Ellen Page can't really answer her, and mm. Marsha Gay Harden knows, and you can see that she's hurt. And mm. rather than it being this kind of moment of triumph, you feel sorry for her, you feel bad for her. Because also the thing that I like is this film is willing to admit that Bliss is also... A bit selfish, a bit self-involved, you know, hmm. and I like and I like that moment when Bliss kind of says, you know, I do support myself and Marsha Gay Harden says, no, you don't. You buy shoes, you know, hmm. and it's like this thing of her saying, you don't know what real hardship is yet, you know, And 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 again, I find myself feeling very sympathetic towards the mother because as much as she is a difficult character and the movie acknowledges that she's a difficult character, especially through the father who kind of like part of his triumph is being able to finally stand up to her. And again, he could be this kind of narrow, shitty, henpecked, character but he's not the way he puts it is you have to pick your battles with her Hmm. and he's and that's the point is at the end he's decided this is a battle that he feels he has to fight that he yeah that
1: that's another element that's so important that again how many times do we see these kinds of films where the drama is just to the hilt the the parents hate each other he's an alcoholic and she's a an overworked you know mother who got pregnant too young and she hates her life it isn't that it isn't it isn't this overinflated drama this is just a very sort of generic listen the parents still love each other yeah maybe they didn't go on and become engineers or inventors or maybe they did have bigger aspirations than living on a cul-de-sac in a suburb in texas but that's okay they're happy with their lives they're getting on are are they flourishing to the max? Maybe not, but nevertheless they love each other. They have a healthy relationship, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that don't like niggle at each other, you know. Of course there are things that are going to kind of like get on your nerves about your partner. That's part of what being in an intimate relationship is. And it's just really nice that they don't that they don't play on over drama. That's one of the things I can't stand with a lot of a lot of Hollywood screenwriting is they try too hard to force these uh, conflicts and you don't necessarily need that, you know, no. Con- conflict is just very na- maybe that's one of the things with the Meyerwitz stories that actually missed for me as I felt like the conflicts were a little too forced. You know, where, whereas this was much more settled. It was much less idiosyncratic and eccentric.
0: Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'll go back to a second to a conversation I brought up before that we've had, which was the Zombie Land thing where characters only do things because it's the structural point in the story where they're supposed to do that. So there's no real right. true emotional beat that's built up to. They go like, this is the point where the character is supposed to make a turn or this is the point where the character is supposed to make a decision. It's like mm. they've blueprinted it out and they've but at no point have they earned that you know Mm. but everything here is earned everything is well Mm. established and built up to and again i love you know you know daniel stern as the father again Mm. he's also great and again they build these little subtle things in like he is a guy who had two daughters and he loves football and he doesn't totally have a way to relate to his daughters you know and so when he actually discovers that she's into roller derby he's like you know there's an element to him where he's like oh this is this is this is kind of cool this is kind of exciting you know and so um and then yeah and 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 i you know again it's like that's so that speech where he kind of says i would you know i i i you know i if this is something that makes her happy then i want her to be happy and again it's hard not then for me to see the parallels with the idea of people kind of coming out to their parents this idea mm. that this is not something that i've that they understand necessarily but it's about making them happy and then Again, he kind of... I, I i love the whole thing of how he... I, I love the whole thing at the end where he's got, like... You know, there's, there's that thing in Texas. I don't know if it's a thing that's done outside of Texas, but, you know, when you have a kid who's on, like the high school football team, you put a sign down in the front garden yeah. with his number and his name and, and the team's logo on it. And like his next door neighbor has like two sons on the football team. So he puts out this sign of his daughter with her roller derby number and her roller derby. Cause he's like so proud of her. And it's like, again, that's adorable. And it feels so earned, you yeah. know, it, this movie makes you happy because it earns every element of the emotional investment you have in it.
1: Yeah, that scene elicited an audible awe from me in my room. I was just like, oh! <laughs> I love that little bit. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm actually surprised. So this is Drew Barrymore's directorial debut, correct? It's the, the only, film? it's the only film she's made as well. I'm surprised. I feel like she had a really good control over everything that was going on. Obviously, she's got a small part in the film too. And I love Drew Barrymore. I love Juliette Lewis who's in it um Kristen Wiig is in it. Uh even Jimmy Fallon who I really cannot stand. I just find him to be hammy and fake and I don't know if you ever watch his his uh Tonight Show or whatever the I, fuck I don't he watch does. It, no, no. it is awful, dude. I never he's liked him so... much on
0: Saturday Night Live.
1: Yeah, I feel like he's trying too hard. He's he's always so insincere and inauthentic. Dude, he actually was pretty decent for his small again, little part I mean, that he has i
0: think that's kind of it because he's playing like the goofy
1: announcer guy so it's kind of fine but yeah but he wasn't I mean, but he wasn't goofy that's the thing is he was like he he's hammy like jimmy fallon but isn't very that often kind of is what is it
0: is. i kind of felt like it's almost like jimmy fallon is playing the sort of low rent texas equivalent of jimmy fallon
1: i'm i like the low rent part because, yeah, because yeah. yeah, when he gets too hammy, it just seems like he's trying so damn hard and it, it just it grinds my gears, man. But I actually was kind of like, hey, I'm OK with him in this. He actually did a really nice job. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because bringing up Drew Barrymore's direction,
0: I actually like when I was looking through the Wikipedia page of this, I felt like this little point summed up exactly what I think clearly works so well and clearly what her influence on the film was, was Mm. once Barrymore got involved, she and cross the writer of the book that the film is involved was based off who also wrote the screenplay worked for months on the script, um, revising with Barrymore, pushing her to avoid the stories, tidier prospects to make things more raw and open-ended. And Mm. I think that's actually it. Like, Every character, they move to try and complicate in some kind of a way. Like, nobody mm-hmm. is kind of has... I mean, even like Juliet Lewis, who spends an awful lot of the film being the kind of mean one, she, um, you know, again, you know, she gets her kind of moment of dimension. And then, yeah. again, I kind of like how they have their... Iceman Maverick moment at the end where you know (laughs) you can skate with me anytime, you
1: know. Uh, That's exactly what it was.
0: Also, Juliet Lewis does not believe in bras in this movie.
1: I didn't even notice that. No, it's just uh, like, were the nipples poking out?
0: No, no, no. It's just like constant like deep, deep V's with no bra oh, yeah. underneath. Um yeah, well, because she
1: doesn't have a huge bust. So no. I did notice that. It actually, I mean, I thought she looked fantastic. Oh, she yeah, was no, I she mean, did. this is seven she was in like her late thirties, maybe or yeah. early forties when this film I mean, no, she's, what is she forty four, forty five now? I don't know, but she's
0: well, she's playing 36, because she doesn't she say that's right, she says I'm thirty six. Yeah,
1: so she may have been thirty six, thirty seven when the film was made. Um well she looked fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um no, I actually really like her a lot. I know she's doing her music career thing now, I, but don't
0: like her in a lot of the 90s things that she's famous for, because like, I find her too hammy and over-the-top a lot of the time. I find her
1: tedious. Have you ever seen Christmas Vacation? That's I have seen Christmas
0: Vacation, she's and fantastic I am not... <laughs> talking about Christmas vacation. <laughs> she is like that. That is, that is not included in under the umbrella of what I'm talking about here. Uh, no, um, and I wouldn't say it's for everything. Like, I think I've liked her in other things. I quite like her in Cape fear. You know, I, yeah. um, was natural she, born uh, killers. Natural born killers is such a wacky film that it's kind of okay. She's not the thing that I like in natural born killers, but I don't mind her. Okay. I hate her in California,
1: but then again, I don't
0: think California is very good either. Um, You know, um, I don't know. I, 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 she's, I don't, I also, I think she's awful in Strange Days. I like Strange Days a lot, but she is awful in it. Um, Mm. you know, so it, it kind of depends. Um, but I, you know, this is, I mean, just, just actually going through it. Like this is just, this is just a great fucking cast that she's assembled here. Like, and again, I love that the teenagers don't look like CW actors. I love that you have Mm. Ellen Page and, um, Fuck! What I just want to get her name right because I keep sort of like you know I keep uh, is it Ali Shawcat? Shaw is it uh, ah yeah Uh yeah it's um I think it's uh, Al- Aliya Shawcat.
1: Okay, yeah. she was
0: on um I, I know her as maybe from Arrested Development.
1: Yeah, she's great. I um, yeah, yeah. she's really great, and she's actually got like um she's got a real like. Th- we use the word charisma a lot. Oh, yeah. She's got this real sort of presence on screen that there's a naturalness about her. There's some sort of thing that is attractive. Maybe, again, oh, yeah. well, it's one of those talent crush things. But there is something very attractive about her. And I don't mean that in, like, a, a again, a sexual or, like, a, no, no, no. a sort it's of like fashion.
0: Me, you mean more of a charisma type way. Yeah, you? and I, I
1: literally mean attraction, like yeah. being drawn to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She definitely captivates the eyes. Um, and their chemistry... And I think she's great. And their chemistry
0: is, is just great. Like I just, and also just, it has some really great little throwaway lines in it. Like for instance, when she knocks the cheerleader over by bumping her and like, um, (laughs) and they're walking up the stairs and she goes, just goes, we need better villains (laughs) or we deserve better villains. You know, again, I just think, you know, that it's so kind of just sharply written. And, and I think it's, it's part of my whole thesis a lot of the time that, a a, a lot of it comes down to execution. Like you can, you can have the most generic story in the world, but if it's executed well, then it doesn't matter because if you care about the characters, if you're invested in it, it doesn't matter that it's generic. And again, it it really, I, I like the way that it manages to really build out this character of, of the team. And there's there's so many Mm. actual like characters in this movie, yet they all kind of feel there. Like I love, you know, you've got the, you know, you, I mean, I think really the only one of the team who's given a lot of dimension is Kristen Wiig. But at the same time, you kind of know who everyone is and they all kind of feel, you know, that, you know, you know exactly who each member is and kind of like, except they have their
1: for, own except for Eve, the token black girl who doesn't really get much development.
0: Oh, uh, does she get You mean Rosa
1: Sparks? Is that her character's yeah. name?
0: Yeah. Well, does she get any, <laughs> to be fair, does she get any more? development than zoe bell as a bloody holly
1: fair point fair point yeah yeah no you just in fact she's probably more noticeable because she's the token black member the only reason i notice zoe bell so much more in the film is because i feel like she does have a few more lines but also because i'm just so surprised to see her as uh an actor outside of like a quentin tarantino film
0: yeah but again like (laughs) It's kind of like it, – it's a kind of fascinating cast that she's assembled for this movie. Super
1: fascinating.
0: Because, um, again, like even like the guy who plays like uh, Indy Austin in his 20s, um, he – Landon Pig.
1: He's a, he's a it, singer.
0: He's a singer. Like I didn't even yeah. know that until I looked it up. And
1: can I just yeah, say – for people who don't know him, he was famous for that song called Falling in Love at a Coffee Shop. Do you remember that mm-hmm. one, Keir? Which like, he I, looks
0: he looks like the kind of guy who would write a song called Falling in Love at a Coffee Shop.
1: Yeah, and it's like super kind of like mellow acoustic. It's like, I think that possibly maybe I'm falling for you. Yes, that I'm falling for you. Or some shit like that. And it's like, I've seen the that your eyes wander down. I want to go too. I think that possibly maybe I'm falling for... It's like a really slow kind of sweet, mm. cheesy, indie, twee kind of song. Um, But it's nice. nice can enough. I?
0: Can I also I'm going to give this this film some on a personal level some real huge points on a certain element which is as was mentioned earlier in the uh, call me by your name review I really do not buy teenage love stories like generally when I watch teenage mm. love stories I'm kind of like it's infatuation it's 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 right. lust it's like it's, and it's your hormones working in a way that you haven't experienced before, so you so I, I, I hate generally in stories when people find the love of their life when they're like 17. and I'm so sure you're there are. a cynic. You're i a know cynic there are, and you don't believe know, in love. I know there I are people who do, I'm sure there are people who do that. <laughs> I just think that it's a far too overrepresented thing, and I just don't buy into teenage love stories generally. Did you ever love, see: Did
1: you ever see Tuck Everlasting? Come on, man. That Alexis Bladell yeah, and Jonathan wasn't, Jackson.
0: Yeah, but it wasn't, actually I read the book, but it wasn't that guy technically like, wasn't he 500 like 100 years old or something, or something <laughs> like that? <It's laughs> yeah, like, yeah it's he like was. It's like the Twilight thing. It's actually really fucking creepy if you think about it. Anyway, point is that um, basically I love the fact that this they basically build up this love story just to puncture it by basically being like no this was just some douchebag that she lost her virginity to who yeah. she kind of decides you know what you're not fucking worth my time in the end and I love that like he gives this kind of maybe kind of like thing of like, uh you know, it's, it's never confirmed whether he did or didn't cheat on him. It's maybe plausible. I'm sure Austin, you made that excuse to women all the fucking time back in the day. Oh no. Some girl just jumped into the van and put on your t-shirt. She was crazy. I don't know. We didn't know anything about her. And then, and then, and then, but then I love the fact that she just goes, yeah, but you didn't call. And then goes, I would have called and walks, yeah. and, and walks it's- off.
1: The thing that was so nice about it, again, is, again, they didn't overplay the drama in this. He oh, wasn't some absolute asshole. He didn't like. There was no big blow up in a fight. He's still sweet and charming. He's just a dude in a band. Um, he didn't like seduce her in in an illicit way. You know, they had like this nice, cute romance, and then he slept with her. And then at the same time, he probably has like a nice, cute romance with twenty other girls. Because he's not – it's not like the typical douchebag dude that's portrayed in a lot of films. Again, it was very nice in the way that they just portrayed it and then at the same time, the way that the conflict happens. It's just such good writing that you don't often see in – especially indie films. But but you don't often see in films.
0: But you know what also too though is it's the sort of great writing that never gets awarded because it's so subtle in what it's doing because it's doing it within this very kind of – a fairly mainstream structure. It's not like it's not delivering big grand speeches. It's characters interacting with each other in a witty and natural fashion.
1: Yeah, it's part of the reason is because people love fucking drama, man. I
0: also think actually the funny thing that I actually think is really good is I also think this film could have been insufferable with its kind of hipster edges. And I actually think it plays it really nicely without going too far over the top with it. Is it mm. The film doesn't feel like it's trying too hard to be cool. Like you mm. know,
1: oh, like the striper references. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, stuff it's like that. it's yeah. not
0: like Juno, where to me something like Juno like overplays its hand constantly. Whereas like mm. this feels kind of a little bit subtle in that you know, and I. Yeah. And I and again, I really like the fact that when you're in her house, and we sort of said she, they're a sort of working class family in Texas. I mean, she works as a as a as a male woman, you know, he has some kind of like business of some sort, you know, that's I'm I'm gonna say propane salesman because that seems like <laughs> seems like the sort of, I, I used to watch King of the Hill. Seems like the sort of thing a guy in small town, Texas, would be doing. So he's a propane salesman. There's no yep. evidence of that in the movie, but I've just decided that's what he is. Which anyway, for me. Um, but anyway, um, you know, and you can kind of see their house feels like what that house would look like it doesn't feel like they live in some impossibly nice house they're not yeah. like they they feel real and tactile they feel like people from texas even though this film like none of them are from texas and this film was shot in michigan was it really this film was shot in michigan i was, <laughs> I was shocked when i found this out because oh, i wow. actually thought it felt like texas um, yeah. but yeah um And no, and I, I, again, like, I, and I also, I love this dynamic because we talked a lot to, um, during the Candyman review about the idea of the divide of haves and have nots, white and black, you know, Mm. poor and rich. And I, I really, again, found the way that it defines this real visual difference between the idea of the people in Austin and the people in small town, Texas, without at the same time trying to make it seem like people from this small town are all dumb hicks, Exactly. Like, and I again, think...
1: Again, subtlety.
0: You know, and again, and I, I also, again, one of the... It, it's it's about that it chooses really good moments to make little subtle points. And when Kristen Wiig says to her, I actually think you're maybe being a bit selfish and maybe you should try and look at this from your mother's perspective. And Kristen Wiig is kind of embodied... Throughout the movie, is kind of embodied everything that Ellen Page thinks she wants to be. She wants to be right. this cool alternative woman with tattoos who's like doing roller derby and he's a badass and then she finds out Kristen Wiggs a mom, you know? Mm. And that's why she goes home at night cuz she has a kid to look after. And you mm. know, and that's the thing that I like too. Like you realize that probably all these people, they probably have fairly shitty jobs. They kind of like they they live like fairly normal lives and then when they when and then they get to like take it all out in the roller derby. They're not like all like you know, you remember, um, do you remember a TV show called uh, How to Make It in America?
1: Oh, I, I see. I used to love that movie. See, Or see, I love that show, I mean. See,
0: the thing about that show this I used to like that show too. But the thing that's insufferable about it is everybody is impossibly hip. And they yep. you can't imagine what their normal life is like when they're not just going to parties and being cool. <laughs> and this is not that you imagine these people are real people, that they have lives outside of the roller derby and that they probably are like waitresses or they work in a hospital or something like that. You know, yeah. it's not like trying to suggest that these people are like making bank off of roller derby and sort of, you know, living these impossibly insane lives.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been reading a lot of uh, psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic theory. And there's something that they talk about in it uh, as being like a divided subject. And one of the things that this film does so well is it presents the sort of crack in the fantasy object. So rather rather than having like how to make it in America, it's this pristine fantas fantastic image of what hip life looks like when you're struggling and trying to make it as an artist in New York City and you know everybody and you know fashion designers and you have an it in and all the cool places and you're always gonna have the opportune moment to meet the person that you need to meet so that you can get the thing that you need to get or whatever. This film is very much subjects are split, the people are complex, they're complicated they're subtle. They don't really play too much into the fantasy. Of course, there's obviously a fantastic elements within this. You can't get out of that. But it's just so grounded in a sort of complexity that it's also simple in its complexity because it's something very familiar to us that sort of cuts through the fantasies. And then that's why you just said a minute ago this type of writing doesn't get rewarded because what gets rewarded are the big sort of fantasy elements, those kinds of films, the yeah. films that do play the drama
0: and i and i said too that i was very underwhelmed in the end by the speech by michael showalter in call me by your name which was the thing that everyone was building up to and it's not like and it feels like it's a big grandstanding moment you know and it's and it's not that i think it's necessarily bad writing it's just it doesn't interest me very much
1: you yeah. know
0: and and i and i think like a lot of the emotion that was being exhibited in this film you know, I, I again. It, it's interesting that I saw something like "Call Me by Your Name" because to compare it to this film is, in many ways, this film has none of the art house trappings and sort of grand elements of it. But I feel so much more connected to this film, and you could say, yeah. in many ways, that okay, well, that's be, that's because you're not a you you were never a gay teenager, so you don't you mm-hmm. don't understand that element of things. But you know, I was a teenager, and certainly uh, I found the the display of wealth and affluence in Call Me by Your Name, uh, very off putting. Whereas in this film, I I feel like, you know, I've you know, I again I'm not a kid from small town Texas, but I feel far more connected to what's going on even as a man as opposed to a woman, I, I still feel far more connected to what Bliss yeah. is going through than I ever do to end to the character and Call Me by Your Name. You know, and it yeah. and it's it's interesting to me again, this idea that we we uh, reward films with very lofty facades, but completely ignore films that have a more mainstream edge to them. A lot of times, mm. and I, and again, I th- I actually think the real shame about this is that I actually think that this is a very confident film for a first time director, and yeah. I think it's a real shame that I don't see any evidence that Drew Barrymore's um, looking to direct again. Because I, I we should I start a petition. Really, yeah. Uh, quite possibly. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, Drew Barrymore has been someone who's had some weight in trying to get things made in the industry. I mean, she, you know, she, she was the producer on Donnie Darko. Like she's, mm. you know, she's um she's had her own production company and she's been interested in making things for a while. And, and you know, the thing is, she doesn't actually um, she doesn't really if you look at her filmography, she doesn't actually act that much anymore. Like, you know, she's got this TV show she's in in Netflix now called, um, you know, the Santa Clarita Diet, which I've not watched at all.
1: Yeah, it's like zombies shit.
0: But, I mean, like, she's not really, like, she's not really acted in a lot of films, you know, um, in a while. And you kind of feel like...
1: Her best film ever was Babes in Toyland with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) have you ever as seen deep, that
0: that's a deep cut man i have i ever... oh
1: no i have not seen that oh my god we're watching that during christmas time
0: <laughs> um but no i mean... fuck
1: fuck i'm changing my pick for next week actually <laughs> we,
0: we should we should probably say that for christmas save, save for christmas austin okay uh we will do a christmas special after all um okay but um yeah and you know I I'm a big fan of Never Been Kissed. I love The Wedding Singer. Um, you know, I like 50 First Dates. Like I have always liked Drew Barrymore as a screen presence. But in a weird way, I've always kind of felt Drew Barrymore that she's almost like someone because she's part of an auspicious acting family. She's someone who acting was kind of in her blood and so yeah. she kind of just went into it. And you kind of wonder like how much of a passion she ever had for it and whether maybe making films or, you know, producing or having some involvement on that side is something she would get more into. Or, you know, it's also possible that as she's become older, the parts just haven't been as interesting to her and she has no real interest in, you know, she she doesn't feel like she needs to be part of the spotlight and has to like go do things that she doesn't actually care about. Hmm. You know, I don't know. But I think like, I think, I I think I'm kind of fascinated why she's kind of been less into acting and also why she hasn't directed more, because I I really do think this is, you know, a fantastic debut. And I mean, I I would go as far as to say, I think this film is flawless. Like, I don't really have, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I mean, I think and I think whenever you say something is flawless, you have to take it on its own terms. But I think it is. And. And I don't know if maybe there's an element, too. Like, the film didn't really make any money. Uh, It wasn't, you know, much of a success. Um, And I don't know if maybe there's an element of you don't feel an incentive to go make things. And if when, you know, if, if something was hard to do and then at the back end there's no real success for it there may be less of an impetus to keep going and doing that especially if you're someone who's fairly wealthy already so you don't need it's not like you need to go do it to like make money or do anything like that So right. i don't know i don't know i'm 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 coming up with lots of conspiracy theories about what drew <laughs> barrymore's and i have no evidence for any of it but yeah you know i i would say that i would love to see her make another film again
1: ditto ditto ditto
0: Um, and, uh, fuck. I feel like there's, I I was just to, just to finish it off. Okay. I'm going to say one more thing. And I'm curious to see what you think about that. What is the incentive for someone to eat the squealer? Because it's like the whole thing, the whole gimmick of it is this idea that she works at this restaurant where, um, you can, there's like this giant, like, uh, pork bun that if you eat it in three minutes, it's free. It's
1: a huge pulled pork sandwich, man.
0: It's a huge pork, but... Eating it in three minutes? Like, yeah, dude. What's the fun of eating it in three minutes? Have you never
1: watched Man vs. Food?
0: Yeah, but it's like, okay, but I I don't necessarily, I, I can understand the concept of an eating challenge. You know, I've been to the Big Texas Steak Ranch, I've seen the 72 ounce steak. Um you know, I'm not necessarily against the idea i I don't personally have I don't I'm not personally excited about it, but it's like and I for me as someone I would quite enjoy a giant pulled pork sandwich because that sounds delicious to me. but I don't see what I gain in eating it in three minutes.
1: like what you gain is infamy, but you it's like, gain your name and your photo on a wall so everybody knows that but you I don't get to can enjoy the, the sandwich.
0: Floor. Like, the enjoyment of the sandwich is important to me.
1: But don't you think the pride and the satisfaction that you get as being one of the select few that's eaten the squealer would be more enjoyable than the sandwich? No.
0: No. No. For me, it's the sandwich is the important thing.
1: That's because you're not a jock, (laughs) (laughs) Kier. Hey, (laughs) hey, hey.
0: I I was on my high school
1: soccer team. Soccer doesn't count as being a jock. At, Come on, At my
0: school, I was in New Mexico, motherfucker. Like, soccer counts in New Mexico.
1: So I will say, though, I have eaten a couple of things uh, in the sort of, like, time limit required. And it's, like, 15 bucks if you don't eat it within the time period, but then it's free if you do. But it's it's normally, like, exorbitantly expensive if you don't finish it within the allotted time period. So it's, like, we'll give you this massive burrito, but it's, like, 20 bucks if you don't finish it in 15 minutes. Well,
0: okay, Okay. let me put it this way. I am going to go have some barbecue on my birthday because, unfortunately, I don't live in Austin where you can get, like, that 24-hour smoked ribs. So oh. fucking good. Like, oh, my God, like, Texas barbecue is, like, the best fucking thing ever. However, there's, like, in London at the moment, like, people are super into, like, American, like, sort of, like souped up american food done in like a hipster kind of a way yep so i so there's like a ton of barbecue places so i'm gonna go have a shit ton of ribs like i'm gonna and and you know what i i don't mind i'm gonna spend the money and i'm gonna have a shitload of food because my birthday and because i fucking want to eat some barbecue i don't see the point in getting eaten eating it so fast you don't get to enjoy it And then, oh, what? I got to have it for free. Okay, great. I got to have a miserable experience for free.
1: And then you get a shirt, and you get your picture on the wall forever, Kier, until the next fad comes, and that shop (laughs) gets torn down, and they put up a new for the rest put up of the restaurant the nuclear yeah, apocalypse the rest of time,
0: happens and that the restaurant still stands there. like like you know it's like you know how like we we we, we come across uh buildings of the um uh yeah of, of the roman empire you know thousands yeah. of years from now they'll come across the big texas Steak ranch and they'll see all the photos on the wall of the people who could they would be uh, these were the grand champions of their time
1: bro what if we made a short film and that was the sort of conceit of the short film and they think that those people were like the gods of that time period because they could eat the squealer (laughs) clearly these people were venerated for their prowess and their power and their intelligence you know but there's these photos on the wall and then they track somebody down who knows who they were and they get disappointed because they find out that it was just an eating competition
0: in in, in that time you know huge girth was (laughs) a sign of strength that's right (laughs) and people and and their leaders did and their leaders had tiny hands (laughs)
1: I'm a do the things I want Looking to. good, Barbie I ain't got a thing You can make out with him, but that is it Has anyone ever thrown up on the track before? Yeah
0: Get ready to meet your newest Hurl Scout Babe Ruthless
1: This is your SAT class? I am in love with this I cannot take losing the chance
0: for kid
1: to be happy. We're number two. We're number two. She
0: came in second out of two
1: teams. That's right. Celebrate
0: mediocrity. That's fantastic. Okay, cool. So I think we can just basically say that that was a complete and utter success that was great movie uh, oh, great you know yeah so i have now you are the third person that i've shown Whipit it because not enough people have seen Whip it so um hopefully this encourages more people to go fucking watch Whip it because it's fucking great anyway go see it austin does this mean you are going to be nice to me next week
1: I mean, I'm going to be a little bit goofy next week. I tortured myself and I watched a terrible movie on Netflix called Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Did you see that?
0: I've seen that.
1: I mean, it's fucking awful, but Anna de is a, a fucking walking angel, so I'll watch anything that she's in. Um, That's one of those is that her ones, name?
0: That, yeah, and then the other one Anna is... Anna
1: de Lorenza. Yeah. And the, Lorenza, the
0: other one is, the, uh, is Eli, Eli Roth's wife. wife. Which is yeah, kind Lorenz, of, Lorenza something. Which is always that weird thing where you're kind of like, is the director just trying to show off how hot his wife is?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, get her naked and do her in a bunch of sex scenes. I actually watched an interview months and months ago with Keanu Reeves, and he was talking about how it was kind of awkward, obviously, with Eli Roth being like, no, no, like, put your hand here on her boo. <laughs> it's kind of like, eh. so, but, you well, know, you've you've directed yes. people making out with your girl before. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 fine, you know. It's, it's yeah. probably weirder for you than it is for me.
1: It it was it was a little bit weird, but not but because Alex and I were such good friends, uh, it was kind of like it was kind of normal, but it was like I almost felt like it should have been weird. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, we're not gonna watch Knock Knock, but it did inspire me to want to go into the uh, filmography of Keanu Reeves. So I'm gonna go into my favorite Keanu Reeves film of all time, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
0: Well, that just sounds wonderful. I mean, you know,
1: I mean, when was, have you seen this film?
0: Oh my God. Have I seen Bill and Ted's <laughs> excellent adventure? How, how many times have you seen it? Oh my God, dude. It's gotta be, oh, it's gotta be like in the twenties or thirties at least.
1: When was the last time you saw it?
0: Um, actually, it's probably been a while. It's probably been about six or seven years. You know, yeah, same like, here. But, you know, it was like one of those movies that I definitely like quoted a lot, you know. Um, Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's... yeah, man. I mean, I, I haven't seen this movie in years. One of my favorites growing up. Did you watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey?
0: I did. In fact, I owned <laughs> both on DVD. Um, I owned both on, um, on,
1: I owned like both on so VHS.
0: Three years ago. <laughs> Uh, Alex has just come through to inform me that I actually watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure about three years ago with her. So, oh, um, so
1: yeah, <laughs> awesome. So, uh, yep. So that's what that's what we'll be watching next week.
0: And um, of course, you know, we're going to delve into the historical accuracy of uh, its various portrayals. And uh... no, not at all. <laughs> are you saying that <laughs> this is all. not an accurate You're...
1: representation of Socrates? so great I love it Uh, no this is just gonna be pure superficial fun uh, enjoyment that's it
0: oh my god I'm actually I'm super excited for this now I'm like
1: (laughs) I'm so down for Bill
0: and Ted's excellent adventure okay so in the meantime if you haven't please subscribe to us on iTunes uh, write us a review be useful Um, and uh, check out you can if you're interested in seeing more of my work you can come check out my work at kearsaywood.com
1: Uh, Austin? Uh, You can hit me up on Twitter, Austin
0: underscore Hayden. Uh, That's it. That's it. Uh, Come back next week because we're going to watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.